welcome to the online ministry of the sermons at Coastal Community Church. And we are so grateful you took time to, to watch the sermon. One of the things that uh, we have a deep conviction of here at Coastal Community Church is that this online sermon that you're downloading or streaming is, is, a, is a supplement to your spiritual growth. And we, we think it's real important that you're a part of a local church. So uh, even as you watch this sermon, and I hope it encourages you and challenges you, uh, I hope that you'll find a local church. Uh, if you live in the Hampton Roads area, I hope that you'll consider checking out Coastal Community Church. We have three services on Sunday morning, uh, 8.15, 9.45, and 11.15. And uh, so we'd love for you, for you to join us at one of those services. I do want to introduce our new sermon series uh, that we're doing. We're taking some time going through 1 Timothy. We entitled the series Guarding the Gospel. And uh, the Apostle Paul um, mentors a young pastor, Timothy, uh, and he talks to him about how to establish a church so that the gospel of Christ can be guarded in a sense that it's pure uh, and kept true and so that it can be um, brought to a lost and dying world. So I hope you'll enjoy this series through Timothy, Guarding the Gospel. Good morning, guys. Good to see you all this morning. Welcome to Coastal. Do me a favor if you have your Bible. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. And uh, we're going to be finishing up this morning. And uh, while you're doing that, I want to take a moment. I want to do something similar as I did last week. You know, this past week, 9-11. And uh, I think it's always a good time to pause and remember. Um, but, uh, you know, I was telling somebody this week, the older I get, I realize there's more and more people I know that don't even really remember that day. And uh, uh, but here's what I would like to do this morning and, and tie it to something. You know, last week we prayed for our school systems and our teachers and our administrators. Uh, this week, if you're in our congregation and you're what we would call a first responder, you know, I just think it's a great time to thank God for you and, and how you serve our community. Any first responders in here this morning would be daring enough to stand up, okay, so we can recognize you. No first responders? Officers, EMTs? Firemen, fire, de fire department. Great. Okay, there's none here. So we, now we know a good target audience for us as a church to reach with the gospel of Christ. Okay, so, uh, uh, so but let's do this. We're going to pray anyway. All right. I just think it's a great time to bow our head, pray, pray for safety over our country. Thank the Lord for our first responders. All right, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for a great country. You have blessed us, God, and uh, I think we all recognize that, and we give you praise, and we give you glory, and God, uh, you know, this past week was 9-11, and uh, it's just, uh, remi it reminds us of um, the need for you. There, there is, uh, we need you to defend our nation, God. If, if that doesn't happen, we cannot protect from everything. We want to pause this morning Thank you for our first responders in our community, God, our fire department, our police department, EMTs, God, um, those who work in emergency rooms, Lord, uh, our Coast Guard, and, and, and many, many others, Lord, who help protect us and come rushing in often when other people are running out. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for the men and women who are courageous in that manner and serve us and our community in that manner. We ask your hand of blessing upon them and protection upon them as they serve the community. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to finish up a series called Guarding the Gospel. Uh, there's a handout in your bulletin. I want to encourage you to get that out and follow along. Um, and open your scriptures. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, do me a favor, take that one with you. That's a, our gift to you. We'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God. While you're doing that, I want to remind you, men. Okay, we got our men's retreat coming up in two weeks. 
okay? So you have two weeks to sign up. The reason I'm telling you now is so you can check your calendar, clear it if necessary, and be there, okay? It's going to be a great opportunity. Actually, the men, men's team's calling it an offensive, all right? So it's just a great opportunity to connect with some other men in the church community and, and grow in Christ. Um, this last, so next week we're going to start a new series called Strength and Courage, and we're going to be going through the book of Joshua. So if you want to prepare, you can begin to read the book of Joshua on your own, and, and I'll talk about next week why we're doing that over the course of the fall, but we're finishing up guarding the gospel, and, and uh, this has been a letter through the journey. We've journeyed through the letter of 1 Timothy, uh, the Apostle Paul writing to a young pastor, and today's sermon is out of a text that is really um, uh, Paul's fight speech, final concluding speech to this pastor, Timothy, and it got me to thinking about some, some great final speeches, some great motivational speeches that have been given, and, and it made me think of, and I, I know we don't know exactly, but it made me think of the movie Braveheart, right, and William Wallace, and, 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 and of course we know this, we're, we're going to see the Hollywood version, but it's the Battle of Stirling Bridge, and if you know anything about your history, the Scottish army was heavily outnumbered against the English army, yet they won a great victory led by William Wallace. And oddly enough, the battle was fought on September 11th, 1297. Isn't that fascinating? But Hollywood did a great job. And this is Mel Gibson. Check this out. A final fight speech of William Wallace before the battle in Sterling Bridge. Check this out. I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. And free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives but they'll never take our freedom! just want to see the movie now, right? Scotland forever is what they shout out at the end. And today we're, we're looking back at, the, at the fi- Paul's final send-off. And in fact, if you know anything about your church history and your biblical history, the Apostle Paul actually wasn't sure how much time he had left here on the earth. And so this was, you know, he did write a second letter to Timothy as we know now, but at the time this may have been his final send-off. He may have been thinking, what am I going to say to my young protege? What do I want to leave my young pastor in Ephesus and, and to, to, in planting his church? church that will change the world. And it reminds me, church, that, man, we're neck deep in this stuff. We're neck deep in this stuff. 
As we die to self, as we battle with the flesh, as we battle against, uh, not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, we are at war. Make no mistake about it. This time last week, I said to my wife, all the stuff aside, all, all the relational stuff, all the stuff that's been on Facebook, I said to my wife, there is a woman in America in jail for something I agree with. We, we are at, at a crossroads, church, and it's not peacetime, and we got to stop thinking it's peacetime. And church, we, if you're here and you're, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to do battle with the flesh. We need to pursue righteousness and godliness. Enough's enough. And in the battle with the world, we gotta, we got to hold for things that are true. And in battle against the evil one, we've got to resist temptation. And so the Apostle Paul in his final words of encouragement to Timothy says this, but you, Timothy, you're a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith and love and perseverance and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to eternal life to which God has called you, which you have, you have declared so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God who gives life to all and before Christ Jesus who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate that you obey this command without wavering, that no one can find fault with you from now until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. For just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He alone can never die, and he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen, nor ever will, all honor and power to him forever and ever. Amen. It's the closing speech of Paul to Timothy. He's telling Timothy, I've been, and by the way, I've skipped over verse 20, but he, he tells Timothy in verse 20, he says, I want you to guard all that I've entrusted you. That's why we call this series Guarding the Gospel. And in his final speech, he gives Timothy a command. He says, I want you to flee and to pursue. I want you to flee and to pursue. Now, in the context, he's probably talking about what we talked about last week. Flee from the love of money, Timothy, but also flee from all the evil things that will distract you in your pursuit of Christ. And then he says, pursue. Flee and pursue. Pursue righteousness. Yeah, the idea here is, is, is the idea of right standing before God and godliness is the idea of general Christian piety. And by the way, Paul's not, Paul's not suddenly teaching a, the idea of works-based salvation. Let's not confuse the doctrine of justification, the doctrine of sanctification, sancti- in, in, in the idea of sanctification as a Christian. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you call yourself a Christian, you've trusted the person and work of Jesus Christ to have declared righteousness over you, so your right standing is now holy in the sight of God because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. His righteousness is now credited to you. However, when you become a Christian, you get a deposit of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, in your life that awakens you to the things of God. So so you can now do battle with the flesh. You can put to death the deeds of the flesh, and you are alive to the things of God. And this list that I'm about to give you is not an earning list. I think it's a targeting list. 
as you pursue the things of Christ, I think this is a great target for your life. I'm going to pursue righteousness. I'm going to pursue godliness. I'm going to pursue, and here's what Paul uses. It's, uh, he, usually, he often couples these words together, faith and love are coupled together as normal Christian virtues. Paul says endurance. Timothy, pursue endurance. It's the stickability of Christianity. I know far too many Christians in this culture that are just so up and down. And I'm wondering, are you going to endure to the end? Paul says endurance is a normal Christian value. And and gentleness. There's a softness and there's a, a grace about you. And by the way, they're on a counseling note, okay? This is a great counseling opportunity. On a counseling note, don't ever try to do something in a vacuum. Don't ever try to stop a vice in a vacuum. Here's what I mean by that. Don't ever go, well, I'm going to stop. Fill in the blank. I'm going to stop watching so much TV. I'm going to, maybe there's a sin you're battling with. I'm going to stop looking at pornography. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop without filling it with something. That's why Paul says, flee and pursue. Okay? It's a both and. It's not an either or. If you're going to stop, you need to fill that time where you used to indulge the flesh with something that pursues the character qualities of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Flee and pursue. Flee and pursue. I'm going to stop and I'm going to fill. I'm going to stop watching so much TV. Guess what I'm going to fill it with? I'm going to maybe fill it with exercise. Maybe I'm going to fill it with reading. Maybe I'm going to fill it with small group ministry. Which, by the way, there's nothing. Community is a great tool to grow to be more like Christ. That's why we talk so much about small groups at Coastal Community Church. It's not a tack on. Community is essential for you to grow to be like Christ. Flee and pursue. It's a biblical concept. Created when you die to the flesh, you need to pursue it with the character qualities of Jesus Christ. Timothy, I feel like Paul's yelling on to Timothy here. What would you do without freedom, Timothy? You're going to go back to the flesh. You're going to be consumed by your sin. And so then he says, fight the good fight, Timothy. Fight the good fight. Fight the good fight for the true faith, First Timothy 6.12. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. He says, fight the good fight. Now, I'm going to apologize in advance for what I'm about to show you, okay? I'm about to show you another video clip. I don't like to do clips in one service, okay? But I couldn't help it, all right? This is a clip. As I was reading this, I was kind of, I was kind of charged up as I was writing this. I was like, yeah, you know, fight the good fight, you know, great speeches. And, and, um, and so my mind naturally went um, to Herman Edwards, the head coach of the 2002 Jets. Now, I had to explain to Pastor Joey that this was not Jonathan Edwards, okay? This is Herman Edwards, okay? And so, and so if, if you've never seen this, some of you NFLers will notice, by the way, this is the kickoff the NFL weekend. 
That's some good news right there, all right? My day just got better. And, uh, but this is it, right? And so if you don't know the story, okay, Herman Edwards, and, and if you've never, one of the great things about the NFL is to, is to watch the interviews with losing coaches after a game because football is such a passionate sport, and the coaches are passionate, and you get some great, great audio clips, you know, of an irritated coach after a loss, right? And so Herman Edwards in 2002 was the head coach of the New York Jets. The New York Jets had just lost lost another game. They were now two and five. And at his midweek press conference, a, a journalist innocently asked him a question. They said, Herm, are you afraid that your team is going to quit on you for the rest of the season now that you're two and five? And what he got, what this journalist got in response is one of the great NFL coaches' response of all time. Check this out. I was going to try to do it myself, but I said, let's just watch the clip. Here we go. Watch this. Herman Edwards. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. That's the great thing about sports. You play to win. And I don't care if you don't have any wins. You go play to win. When you start telling me it doesn't matter, then retire. Get out. Because it matters. So, alright. Yeah. That, 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 this whole conversation bothers me. <laughs> I feel like the Apostle Paul said, you play to win the game, you know. This whole conversation just bothers me, you know? I love that. What you probably don't know is that New York Jets team turned their season around. They went 7-2 and two and made a, made a very fine playoff run. Paul encourages us. Fight the good fight. Some of you in this room, man, you're, you're laying it down. I get it. Life's tough. And our enemies are real. Paul says, Timothy, fight the good fight. The word fight literally means to agonize. It's not going to be easy. You play to win the game. Let me ask you something, church. Is there anything worth agonizing over more than spiritual truths and spiritual victories? The next time your flesh is tempted, you need to take radical action. You need to get some community. You need some accountability. Don't settle for the, the lies of the flesh and of the devil and of the world. We have victory in Christ. Fight for spiritual things, truth, spiritual freedom, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, dying to self, serving Christ. Church, this is a worthy fight. And I believe that the church is the one place that's still calling for these things. And our culture needs this. Paul says you hold tightly to eternal life, Timothy. Again, Paul's not suggesting that you earn eternal life. I think the idea here, Paul's saying, 
Timothy, keep in mind, church, keep in mind the internal perspective. If I'm reading my Bible right, like, we got to have a big picture perspective. And when I say big picture, church, I'm not talking about your 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or even 90 years you have on earth. If I'm reading my Bible right, what we do here on earth impacts all of eternity. If I'm reading my Bible right, it's not a matter of if you live for eternity. It's a matter of where you live for eternity. But I want you to get in this concept, the idea that you are created for eternity. You're going to live. You ready? Forever and ever 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 and you get the point, right? And we have to think like that because that changes our day to day. It changes the way we think about our health problems. Maybe, there's, maybe they're a tool to be used to bring glory to God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And it changes the way we pray and it changes our purpose as parents as we bring up children. I mean, I'm just, I just want to rail against this as, in this culture. Church, I want to tell you something. Parents, I want to tell you, if you're, man, if you are bringing up boys... And I'm going to, girls is another issue. I got one of them too, okay? But when you got, if you're bringing up boys, I'm telling you, parents, the world is screaming at your young men to get them hooked on pornography at the age of 10. That's what studies show. And we are not fighting the good fight. We're handing them electronics and we're not even thinking about what that looks like because we're being lazy. And if you don't know how to protect your electronics, stop being lazy, get on the internet and figure out how to protect them. You got to battle with this stuff. We got to fight the good fight. All right, parents, and then your kids, and you're sending them off to your schools, and I'm just telling you, they're getting a different worldview than what we're teaching them here. And I'm saying you got to be ready when they come home to do spiritual battle. And listen, I'm not talking necessarily about being weird. I'm talking about teaching them the word of God and teaching them a proper worldview and praying with them and teaching them spiritual things. Parents, you got, it changes what we're doing here. It's not just to give them a good education. And I want my kids to be educated. Education is very important. But I want to bring up godly men. And I'm, I got three kids. I want to bring up two godly young men and a godly young woman. It's way, way bigger than just them getting an education and a good job. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever changes the way you do the money that you're not taking with you anyway. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever changes the way you use your time here on earth. It changes why you would battle your, addic- for your addiction that you're struggling with and temptation. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever changes the way we think and, and behave inside of a difficult marriage. Forever and ever and ever and ever realizes I'm not here just for, for my happiness but for my holiness. Forever and ever and ever and ever, and ever changes how we deal with an annoying neighbor and a co- annoying coworker, and an annoying roommate, and the list goes on and on and on. Forever and ever and ever changes us in our thinking. And Paul reminds Timothy, he says, this is a good fight. And we do it with the power of the idea of a public confession. I find it very interesting. Paul rings up his public confession. He says, which you decided which you declared before so many witnesses. 
And many biblical scholars here believe that Tim, Paul here is talking about Timothy's baptism, right? I think there's a great power in spiritual markers, by the way. There's great power in spiritual markers. There's, a great, there's a tremendous power of declaring your faith in community. It's huge power. The things we do at Coastal Community Church, we, do, we believe the Bible teaches in believer's baptism. that you believe first, and then you declare Christ publicly through baptism. We think that's what the Bible teaches. And we do that a couple times a year up here. And we get the glorified hot tub out, and you know, we baptize some people. Man, there's a great power in that. I call that a spiritual marker. I remember when I was baptized. I remember when I declared publicly, and we do that all the time, right? We do it in weddings. We bring our family and our friends around us, and we, we declare our vows publicly, Till death do us part. Unless I'm unhappy. Right? And then what, and then what we do? And we declare that publicly. There's a great power in, in those spiritual markers. Right? And we do this, you know, we do this. Uh, one of the things I love about people that move to America and become citizens. And they, they declare their citizenship publicly. I think probably we all should think about doing that. Right? It's an important thing. Part of small group ministry is that you're gathering with other believers. It's really easy on Sunday mornings in a, in a church this size to sit here in front, front, straight rows facing forward and, and really no one know where you are spiritually. It's more difficult to do that in a, in, a, in, a, in a circle where you're staring at other people in community. We declare publicly. A public declaration is a spiritual marker. And Paul challenges Timothy. Timothy, remember this confession. It's a good confession. Now, I've got some really good news for you for the times that you've slipped up and tripped up and your confession hasn't been all that you should have been. Paul then finishes with, I want you to remember the great confession. I want you to remember the great confession. I love this section and this reminder because it reminds me of the times when I didn't flee sin like I should have. When I don't flee sin like I should have, there's one who fled sin for me. When I didn't pursue righteousness like I should have, there's one who pursued righteousness perfectly for me. When I didn't and couldn't fight the good fight, there is one who fought the good fight for me. When my confession wavers, I can cling to the one who by grace through faith confessed perfectly for me. Timothy, Paul says, rest in Christ. Verse 13, and I charge you before God, Timothy, who gives life to all and before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate. By the way, we read that, right? And you think about, oh yeah, I remember that. Jesus gave a, some kind of confession, did something before Pontius Pilate, right? Jesus had an unwavering confession, Faced with death by crucifixion, church, the most horrific way a human can die, probably, ever devised by man. Our Savior knew what was coming. Deserted by his friends, bearing the weight of the sin and guilt and shame of humanity. Think about that for a minute. Think about a time in your life that, man, there was a sin in your life that no one knew about. And you felt this constant attack of guilt and shame in your heart and in your life. I've got really good news for you. That shame and that guilt was borne by Christ on the cross, paid for, done. When Jesus was done on the cross, he said, it is finished. Isn't that good news? Knowing that he had the, the ability at any moment to call angels to deliver him, 
I'm going to do something really, really dangerous here this morning. I'm going to read a large section of Scripture. But I think it highlights what Paul is saying to Timothy. This is the good confession of our Savior Jesus Christ. John chapter 18, verse 29. So Pilate, the governor, went out to them, meaning the Jews. What's your charge against this man? Well, we wouldn't have handed him over if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. To take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. They yelled back, well, only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied, and this fulfilled the prediction about the way he would die. Then Pilate went back into the headquarters and he called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews, he asked them. And Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate retorted? Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you're a king? Jesus replied, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth, Pilate asked. And then he went out again to the people and he told them, he's not guilty of a crime. But you have a custom asking me to release one prisoner to each year at Passover. Would you like me to release the king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. Then Jesus had, Pilate had Jesus flogged with lead-tipped whips. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put a purple robe on him and they, they chanted, Hail, King of the Jews. They mocked as they slapped him across the face. And Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns. I want you to understand, church, he was mutilated here. A piece of meat. And a purple robe. And Pilate said, look, here's the man. And when they saw him, the leading priests and the temple guards began shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourself and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. Do you feel the inner turmoil of Pilate himself stuck between politics and truth? The Jewish leaders replied, by our law, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into the headquarters again, and he asked him, where are you from? Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or to crucify you? And then Jesus said, and I'll tell you, this gives me chills. You would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed, handed me over to you has the greatest sin. That is power. We call that the word, the word we use there is meekness. It's not weakness. It's, it's power constrained for the bigger picture of something else. And Jesus was unwavering in his confession, even in the face of death. 
And Paul says, Timothy, rest in the great confession of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave a good confession. And why can you rest in that? Because he's none other than the sovereign God, 1 Timothy 6.15. For just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Paul says, to be clear, this confession that becomes our confession is made by God himself. Jesus is God. He, Jesus, is the King of kings. Jesus is the Lord of lords. He is our warrior king who fights when we can't and holds on when we lose our grip. Isn't that good news? He's our sovereign, almighty God. And Paul here encourages us to think in eternal terms. Why did he tell us to think in eternal terms? Because our king is immortal. He will never die. He says in 1 Timothy 6, 16, he alone can never die. Our king is eternal. And quite frankly, even if you kill him, the grave can't hold him. That's our king. And he will conquer death himself. And then Paul does something here in church. I want to tell you something. I titled this sermon um, "Characters and the Character and Motivation of a Spiritual Leader because that's how he concludes this idea. And Paul does something here that he often does when thinking about the gospel and an understanding of good theology. And by the way, a lot of people think theology is dry. Theology is not dry. Theology should lead you to something. And by the way, if you're a spiritual leader and you're growing in spiritual leadership, this should be the overflow of your heart. It leads to praise and worship. And by the way, this is a side note. You guys know I use certain language. I call this corporate worship because I think all of life is worship. Okay, please understand that. But I want to tell you something. If you come in here and you're, gather, and you're a Christian, you gather with other Christians, and, and we're singing songs of truth and praise to God, and your heart is not engaged, you need to go do a little heart work first. Let's not come in here and go, man, I hate this part of it. When's that done? So I can get to the teaching, you know, the teaching time, whatever it is you like about Coastal Community Church. I want to tell you something. A spiritual leader comes in ready to sing praises to God. And I know sometimes when it comes to music, it's stylistic, like I do or I don't, but it's bigger than that. You come in with a heart engaged. You understand the gospel of Christ. You understand the high cost of your righteousness, not to you, but to God himself through the person and work of his own son, Jesus Christ. And you can't help but praise You can't help to celebrate a little bit. You can't help to clap a little bit. There's times in here where I feel like God is moving and maybe we're about to clap, maybe we're not, we're not sure what we're supposed to do. Listen, come in here ready to praise God, okay? Because I'm gonna tell you something, a lot of us are about to sit in front of our TVs today and praise football. And I might join with you, okay? But I'm also gonna join and praise my God. 1 Timothy 6, Paul says, it's like he can't help himself. He alone can never die. He lives in light so brilliant no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen nor ever will. And then he's like this, this crescendo of praise. All honor and power to him forever. Amen. We worship Christ. When he says he's surrounded in light, it means he's holy. He's without sin. And church, he alone is worthy of our honor 
and of our praise. That is the motivation of a spiritual leader. It's the worship of our King, Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. We're all motivated by something. We're all motivated by something. It's not the alarm clock that gets you out of bed in the morning. It's something else. It's something way bigger than an alarm clock. And I fear that too many of us are living for the applause of earth. We're going to worship the applause of earth. And here's what that sounds like. Man, that's a nice car. That's a nice house. Man, you got a nice job. Man, you made the team. Way to go. Let me tell you what this looks like in pastor world. Here's the applause of earth for pastor world. Ready? How many is your church running these days? Woo! You love to be asked that question if things are going well. I've been on the other end, though, when it ain't going so well. I always answer that, well, we've had a few key subtractions. But anyway, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, That's the applause of earth. Paul says, listen, Timothy, you fight the good fight. You pursue sanctification, righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. And when it gets tough and you can't hold on, you remember the doctrine of justification. You remember the one who held on for you. The one who kept the good confession perfectly that's now credited to you by grace or faith. The one who held on when you can't hold on. You remember that and you live for him and he will give you, live for the applause of heaven. And what does the applause of heaven look like? Ready? Well done. Good and faithful servant. And you've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share in your master's happiness. Keep your eyes focused on the reward of heaven. Fight the good fight. Don't quit. If you came in here this morning, you're hanging on by a thread. Don't quit. Don't give up. And remember the one who held on when your grip was loosening. And praise him and worship him. And remember the applause of heaven forever and ever ever and ever. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word, God. The things we're fighting for, man, they are worth fighting for. So much better than the applause of earth. And God, this morning, we're going we're gonna to close out this morning. We're going to sing praise to our King. kept the good confession who held on for me who was strong when I was weak who is light 
who's worthy of honor, who is immortal, who's worthy of praise. That is our king. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. And we worship him. And we long, God, for the day when our faith will be sight. And I pray for the one in this room, God, who came in this morning and they're barely hanging on. And life's been difficult. May they know the strength that only you can provide. May they run with endurance that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit living in them. And may they remember the good confession of Christ who holds us when we're weak. And it's in his name I pray. Amen and amen. Church, this is our offering time. If you're a guest this morning, thank you for being here. I do want you to know we're not after your money. It's one of the ways we worship the Lord at Coastal Church. We also like to do it with singing. And uh, so we're going to sing, and we close with singing, praising our Savior, giving thanksgiving for our great God. If you're here this morning and you're a guest, we don't, we're not after your money. We'd love to have one thing from you on the side. That bulletin's a tear-off. If you just fill it out, drop that in the offering plate. We want to send a thank you card for coming. Uh, if you're here this morning and your burden is heavy and you're like, man, I do feel like I've just been holding on. I've been encouraged. I want to keep fighting the good fight, but I'd like to talk to someone and pray with someone. We have our prayer team. Uh, they're in the front row. Uh, they wear purple shirts. That's how you know who they are. Man, they will be here during this closing song. They'll be here during the offertory. They will be here after the service, and they would love to talk to you, and they would love to, to pray with you. So with that, ushers, would you come forward? And church, we're going to go out singing praises to our king, Pastor Joey. <laughs>